Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Outrage and uproar over outdoor drinking scenes in our cities. We debate the issues, ask about policing tactics and our takeaway points, part of the problem. Later, heartbroken father Andrew McGinley on coping with grief after the tragic deaths of his children and calls for more social media regulation over online trolls. Get in touch on Twitter on our hashtag TonightVMTV. First, I'm joined by Virgin Media News correspondent Paul Quinn, who's in central Dublin tonight for us. And Paul, after the controversial outdoor drinking scenes there of the weekend, how are things tonight? Yeah, um, Claire, we're on uh, South William Street tonight. Look, it's definitely got a lot busier in the last half an hour or so. There are a couple of hundred people uh, behind us. Has to be said, a lot of them just in smaller groups, but they are congregating here on South William Street. Um, in the last couple of minutes, uh, a big fight broke out on the street and uh, a lot of the crowd dispersed uh, during that. And in the last couple of minutes as well, a lot of Gardaí uh, starting to uh, come on scene and a couple of guards patrolling the area as well. But we spent the last couple of hours in the city centre. Uh, we were up in Stevens Green, it has to be said, the vast majority of people just in small groups enjoying the sunshine, enjoying the company. But there was a couple of larger groups as well, it has to be said. Gardaí moving them on uh, just after 8 o'clock. But I did notice a lot of people urinating on the streets tonight. I know this is a big issue as well. Uh, there was a, a big queue for the toilets up at the Grafton uh, Street, up at the top of Grafton Street there beside St Stephen's Green. has to be said, though, too, a lot of the council workers out tonight emptying uh, the rubbish bins as well. So, look, uh, certainly it's, it's busy, but it's not as busy as we saw it over the the weekend. And certainly the authorities under pressure to do something ahead of the bank holiday weekend. Is there going to be a plan in place? Yeah, look, Dublin City Council earlier on today met with Gardaí, met with business representatives saying they're going to put a, a plan of action in place uh, for the weekend. A lot of criticism that this is uh, reactionary and that they should have been uh, planning for this outdoor summer that we're all been talking about uh, for the last uh, couple of months. But the, the Dublin City Council saying that they're not going to be closing off any streets. They will be providing more bins, but they're not going to be providing any extra toilets. And, you know, they're saying that if you provide extra toilets and extra bins, it only encourages people to come into the city, of course. Those in hospitality would say maybe open outdoor hospitality earlier than next week, open it this week, that it might take uh, some of the uh, pent-up demand out for the weekend and it might help solve uh, some of the, the problems around the toilets and around the lack of bins. Uh, the uh, Tónis the Lee of Radcar on News Talk this evening uh, ruling any uh, early reopening of outdoor hospitality. But certainly this isn't a problem just in Dublin City. It's you know, a problem in other parts, other towns and cities where we've had large crowds and the particular problem of that rubbish and people not bringing perhaps their rubbish home with them. But uh, speaking to a couple in hospitality tonight, they uh, saying that this is something that they warned would happen and that uh, they believe that they should be allowed to reopen sooner. 
Okay, Paul, thank you for that update for us tonight from central Dublin. Well, I'm joined here in studio by Fianna Fáil Senator Malcolm Byrne. I'm joined via Skype by Aintu TD Pather Tobin, and I'm also joined by TCD scientist and zero COVID advocate Professor Aoife McLeisett. I want to come to you first, Malcolm Byrne. The scenes that we saw, they were um, largely projected on social media over the weekend. What's your take on them? What was your instinctive feel when you saw them? Did you say, you know, this is what people do when they're encouraged to take their entertainment outdoors or something else? Uh, I think there's been too much finger wagging at uh, a small minority of young people. I think most people, you know, the weather was fine this weekend. I mean, that was part of the, the challenge, but we knew we were going to see people coming out onto the streets. Um, I personally take the view that, look, especially for young people, we've got to cut them some slack. Um, it's been a very tough year for young people, 15 months effectively locked away. I'm fortunate I live in, in a great town of Gorey. I'm close to the coast. I have areas to own the country. If you're caught in the middle of the city and you've limited public space, uh, that represents a challenge. Uh, and I am surprised that some of the local authorities around the country weren't as ready for what everyone was going to expect. Well, that's the big question. Preparation, think safe, think outdoors. That's been the message from government. And yet when it happens, we're not very happy about it. Well, government has provided resources and, you know, we've seen extra space being allowed in, in certain towns for more outdoor dining and so on. It's up to each local authority to determine, uh, you know, how it can use its space most effectively. Uh, that said, there has to be personal responsibility as well. You know, if you if you go to a beach or if you go to a city centre location, if you take your bag of cans, you take your empty bag of cans home with you. You know, you don't leave rubbish and litter that's there. Um, but if we are going to have an outdoor summer um, and we know that resources have been provided to local authorities and to business through Bortfolge in order to provide for that, I I'm just surprised uh, that Dublin City Council wasn't more prepared for this. Uh, and are I you saying they didn't use resources wisely and not providing more bins, not having more amenities, more toilets? Well, I, I certainly think that public spaces could have been used more effectively. And I know, you know, their, their, their challenges, it wasn't just a, a, How a Dublin do that issue. now, considering we, we, we are having an easing of restrictions, but we don't have, we've takeaway pints. We don't have any structure for outdoor drinking or outdoor dining. That's not happening until next week. Yeah, but if, if you had listened to, you know, a lot of that, and I'm, I'm, we have a very clear plan in terms of how we're going to go about opening up. Um, but we've got to look at how we can use our public spaces um, more effectively. And this wasn't just, you know, a, a, a Dublin issue. Um, you know, it was an issue in other cities. And I know for us, even in Wexford, uh, it was great. The beaches were, were packed and thronged, but that brought its own, its own problems as well. Um, we have to be prepared. We know if we're going to have sunny days, large crowds of people are going to descend on urban centre locations and on our beaches uh, and, uh, and on our tourist attractions. They are great, uh, but we've got to be able to manage the crowds that are going to arrive. Okay, Pader Tobin, I want to bring you in here. Um, your thoughts on those scenes that we saw over the weekend. Of course, we know they were just out there and people were taking videos and sending them on, but anyone will tell you um, that this has been happening for weeks, not just in Dublin, but right around the country. Yeah, it's, it's obviously entirely predictable. Um, if you you know, have a situation where you close most of the public spaces around the country, which obviously are uh, bars and restaurants, you, you're literally going to crowd people into the public spaces that are left. Um, and it, it's an incredible situation. These restrictions don't delete uh, people's behaviour. They just simply displace people's behaviour into smaller, less controlled, 
less regulated spaces. So in many ways, uh, the government have, have actually created this situation. Um, you know, I've been looking at the statistics in, in the likes of Denmark and Finland. And Denmark and Finland have had uh, excess mortality rates very similar to what Ireland has had. But Denmark opened its uh, bars and restaurants uh, in the, on the 21st of April. Finland opened it two weeks ago. Ireland is a, a radical outlier again with regards providing spaces for people to be able to socialise at some level in a structured and reasonable fashion. Like, if, if, if the bars and restaurants were opened, people would be sitting around tables, six people to a table, they wouldn't be circulating around the bars, uh, there would be table service. It would be a structured situation. And, you know, if the governments are going to get real about this, they have to take into consideration that people need to be able to socialise at some level during this summer. That is due to happen, of course, next week. Are you saying, are you one of these people, growing, there are growing calls for it, for all of this to be fast forwarded and for outdoor drinking and outdoor dining to start before this weekend? It's an incredible situation. Like we have on the 2nd, on Wednesday, that um, hotels will be allowed to indoor dine and serve pints. And yet pubs won't be allowed to do it until, you know, after the bank holiday is over, which means that we are going to be looking at another weekend of this. There's, you know, as, as sure as night follows day, there will be crowds of people socialising in an unstructured fashion in public spaces in our cities and towns this weekend. You know, nobody should show surprise or shock uh, on Monday and Tuesday after this ha has happened. And in relation to Dublin City Council and other councils not providing resources, I listened to a, a, an official from Dublin City Council saying, well, if they provided more toilets and bins in, um, in the city centre, it might actually attract people to go into the city centre to do this type of stuff, which is obviously a nonsense. Nobody's going to say, well, let's go to such and such a street. There's loads of bins there. Uh, that's very, very clear. And secondly, it looks like it's just a strategic decision by Dublin City Council not to provide those services, such as uh, uh, public toilets and bins, okay. which is obviously a major mistake. Okay. Uh, Aoife McLeisett, you're a professor of genetics and you're a member of the Independent Scientific Advocacy Group, and you have been calling for that zero COVID policy. What do you make of um, the scenes at the weekend and in general, uh, crowds congregating for outdoor drinking. Do you think it is a danger in the spread of COVID? I think it's less dangerous actually than the indoor dining that's been proposed and the indoor bars because there have been no um, regulations or conditions for ventilation, for example, that's been placed on that. So I think what was happening at the weekend, I think it was... You know, it was it was unusual to see it because we haven't got used to seeing crowds at all. But the pictures I saw, I mean, I wasn't um, scouring every image available, but you saw people hanging around in twos and threes and maybe sixes and gaps in between. It's in a well-ventilated space. It's actually better than has been proposed for indoor dining. And I think we're kind of missing the point here because um, the there's been an absolute lack of proper guidance provided or regulation provided for um, the opening of indoor spaces. So like you mentioned already, hotels are going to be doing it now and some of those will be well ventilated and some of those won't. And um, those ones that are poorly ventilated, we know now that this virus is airborne. And so we're going to have transmission, not just to people sitting at the same table, but people who are in the same poorly ventilated room. 
And the thing that we really should be thinking about as well is um, international travel, because the thing I'm really worried about is this B1617.2 variant we'll, we'll that's get, now become dominant in the UK. Yeah, and we'll get to that point around international travel, because I know you have concerns about it and the impact that it may have down the line um, in September. But just on specifically on outdoor large congregations gathering, I sense from you that you're not so worried about that. It is an airborne disease, but you don't think that it can spread like that outdoors, even in settings where people are packed into very tight streets and small spaces. If people are like face to face and like nose to nose, then it doesn't matter how well ventilated the space is. But um, and that is going to happen you know, at, at a dining table, people who are in groups together or in a bar or anything like that. I think given the choice between what we saw at the weekend and the indoor dining, what we saw at the weekend is more safe. Okay. And um, nothing is perfect, but that is more safe than what has been proposed for indoor dining. So it's not great and some uh, transmission can occur there, definitely, but probably at a much lower rate than we'll see with indoor Okay. Uh, hospitality. Interesting point, Malcolm Byrne. Are we scapegoating younger people who are just going outside, they're doing what the government have told them, don't have house parties, don't hang around inside, go and meet your friends outdoors. And yet we've got this potential issue around ventilation in some of the indoor spaces that are opening up this weekend. Yeah, I, I think there has been uh, an effort to scapegoat young people and, and young people have made an enormous contribution over the course of this pandemic. They have kept older cohorts safe. Uh, they've contributed as well through being retail workers and frontline workers. And if you think about what young people have missed out on, uh, they've missed out on key rites of passage uh, as part of, part of their life. Their 18ths, their 21sts, their chances to go away, nightlife and everything else. So, you know, it was entirely predictable that we would see something like this. And I don't think, I think we really have to cut young people some yeah. slack, so given how much they've missed. What do you think should missed. happen this weekend? Do you think there's going to be more outrage, more uproar, more finger wagging when we see similar uh, scenes play out this weekend? I, or what plan or measures could be put in place in the coming days to make it a, a safer, less controversial space for people to enjoy themselves? Well, well, uh, well, I think the Met Office might have a lot to say with that because obviously the, the fine weather helped encouraging everyone out and the forecast isn't maybe as good uh, for this weekend. But certainly it should be a case uh, that there is proper planning put in place by all of the local authorities. I would expect the chief executive of every local authority would have a plan in place uh, to, have you know, you what's, what's happening. Have you heard about these plans? I mean, yeah, no, no. You know, uh, well, well, you're I here can... in, in government. Yeah. Is and, the, and, and, and the messaging is out there and it's a yeah. big government drive on being outdoors. There's a lot of blame being laid at each other's door uh, when it comes to what councils and authorities should be doing and what the government should be doing. Shouldn't there have been a bigger picture and a bigger plan that could have been I, put in place at the start I, of this I year? I agree. And that's part of the reason why governments made money available uh, through Board Falcha and directly to local authorities for outdoor furniture and outdoor facilities to, right. to, to support the outdoor... It's also important there has to be personal responsibility as well because yes. this, this is not yes. all about government or local councils. We're joined by Dublin Lord Mayor Hazel Chu. Hazel Chu, a lot of um, emphasis being put on resources being in place, bins being there, toilets, amenities, um, so that when people do gather outdoors, 
that you're not seeing scenes like we saw at the weekend. Absolutely. What do you have to say as Lord Mayor about the situation in Dublin? So I, I was around the city on the Saturday and I was around on Sunday morning as well. And I have to say there is a personal responsibility, but there's also a collective one. So we always said that we were all in this together and that continues to be so. So we need to provide public space for people who don't have gardens, who don't, who can't go. So what's and, being provided? So one of the things I spoke to Owen Keegan and Colleen O'Reilly, who is our manager of the recovery task force, one of the things that definitely will be provided uh, will be more bins. We're looking at more facilities as well, such as toilet facilities. We are talking to the guards to increase their presence. But one of the things the chief executive was very clear was that we also do need a coherent direction from government as well, because there were mixed messages today from both uh, Minister O'Brien and uh, the Tonishta. So I've asked Minister Catherine Martin and I'm contacting uh, Minister Eamon Ryan to get a clear direction from government on what exactly do they want local authorities to do and do what will they force? Do you know what it? needs to be done in, in the city that you're Lord Mayor of? We do. We, we know exactly so what needs do to be we done. So why do like that? Why do we have overflowing bins and not enough facilities? Why do we not have enough toilets in the city? Not just in Dublin now. This is Cork, yep. Galway, right around the country. And this is one thing that we always said we need more of. And I've been saying it for quite a while now, that we need more bins, we need more facilities, but we also need the direction of whether we are um, allowing gatherings in place or we are or do the question is does governments want does the government want local authorities to manage crowds is that what it, it, we're mandated, mandated to do and that's actually okay if we are we need to put, put those facilities in place and that's one thing that DCC hasn't been doing as much of but we will be doing more of. Okay and one thing Colin O'Reilly said that you mentioned him there in Dublin City Council said yes we'll be providing more bins but we won't be providing more toilets because we don't want to give people an idea that they should come into the city centre. What do you say to that? I think myself and Colleen would disagree on that because I think uh, the, the thought of if you put them, they will come doesn't make sense when they've already come. So you, you need to provide for people there. You need to provide for, for public spaces. That's what we promise people, that this summer we will be open up okay. and they'll be outdoors and we need to provide and for what that. What about shutting down spaces like Portobello? I was not in agreement to that. So, but I do. The, the Portobello argument was that there will be, uh, there is residential, uh, um, uh, there is a residential area there, and as such, we need to protect the safety and welfare of the residents. But my argument back to that was there are other ways to do that. There is in, uh, there, what we needed was a proper plan for a, for a controlled space and also proper presence of the guardian. And that's something I have completely so guarded. So it should open. You think? I think it should. But saying that, I have had plenty of residents contact me to say, listen, they managed to get a good night's sleep. So we need to look at... And everyone at moved further into the well, city centre. This, this is the problem. If you move, if you close off one space, they would displace. It's like traffic. You so would you displace to another. you reopen it this weekend? You're talking about providing more public spaces. I'm Are you going to do that as an emergency measure? I'm sure many people would disagree with me, but I would like to see Portobello Plaza uh, open. But we had agreed that it would be a three-week stopgap, that it would be a circuit breaker to, to come with a new plan. But this isn't, just to say, this isn't uh, uh, a single area. There are other areas in the city that we need to manage. And that is why we had uh, multiple meetings today to, to manage that. Okay. Um, Heather Tobin, um, I just want to ask about the responsibility of local authorities here versus government. There, there, it doesn't seem like there's a coordinated approach here, does there? I can't believe we're having this conversation 15 months into this uh, crisis. This is the type of conversation you have in the second and the third months. You know, I'm listening to two government uh, spokespersons uh, there on the show 
talking about what they would like to see. Um, you know, I've seen that the Dublin City Council are putting in a tender for public toilets to happen. And um, like it's it's just so frustrating that, you know, we're still t talking about planning in, in a situation that is so far advanced. And in, in relation to, you know, the focus on young people, you know, I just want to make the point, 40,000 fines have been issued to people around the state. A Fianna Fáil senator spoke about taking the army out in Galway to tackle young people congregating. And people are missing the point here. 56%, the majority of people who died of COVID in this state, died because they caught it in a hospital or a nursing home. They were the locations, mm -hmm. the epicenter uh, of this particular illness. And, and, and here we have the world and its mother looking at young people out having a pint on a Saturday night as if they were the cause uh, of this particular crisis. And I, it's, it's just so frustrating. Okay. Where do we go from here um, for this weekend? Do you foresee this potentially being a problem going into the summer, even with outdoor dining, outdoor drinking open and a structure being in place, that there still really aren't the amenities and the open spaces for people to enjoy the outdoors? And does something need to be done about that now as we head into the summer? Yeah, well, we, we see it every summer. I mean, coming from Wexford, we see our beaches on a sunny day, not just locals, but particularly obviously people from Dublin uh, who will come down. And a lot of us have been making the case that we need uh, to look at how do we support our seaside towns and villages? How do we provide the necessary infrastructure uh, for, for quite some time? And I, I, I disagree with, with Pather's uh, point. Um, government did make provision. I mean, substantial sums of money have been made. And if people look at uh, our towns and villages and cities, we can see the urban infrastructure being transformed. In my own town of Gorey, uh, I know the County Council has worked with businesses locally in order to provide areas for outdoor dining, taking up car parking spaces, looking at innovative ways uh, to use uh, our public space. So government did make money uh, available in, in the circumstances. I agree with Aoife. Um, I think that it is, you know, the evidence is all there that it is far safer for people uh, to be outdoors. Um, but I do think, I mean, there's a broader discussion around uh, a, a new deal for young people. I mean, young people have suffered enormously. Um, now is the chance for us to, to, okay. to make it right. Aoife McLeister, I want to bring you in again. It's something you mentioned there, and we are talking about the loosening of restrictions and um, enjoying a summer again and staycationing and all of that. But you've got a concern about international travel, and we know that the government is bringing in this, or it, it's an EU-wide green certificate to allow people travel from mid-July. You don't think people should be allowed leave? Um, not that they shouldn't be allowed leave, but that when people return, that there should be uh, strict controls on that because they're potentially carrying back uh, virus with them and could be new the new variant. And that's the biggest threat to our uh, reopening at the moment. So we have plans. We were told for a long time that this was going to be the outdoor summer and the uh, Irish holiday. And now they're talking about rapidly opening indoor spaces and having international travel. And we see now there is huge concern about this B1617.2 variant that is, has become the dominant variant in the UK. And the evidence so far is that this is more transmissible than even the current one we have, mm. the B117, which was already very transmissible. And just being more transmissible makes it a big problem because it means it will spread faster, it will infect more people, and those small percentages of negative okay. outcomes will be large numbers. But and we are still not a vaccinated population. Yeah, we, Our I, I, I was going to get to that. Well. 
Yeah, and, and we know that this week on Wednesday, 40 to 44-year-olds will be getting the call up and they can book their vaccine. And that target of 80% by June, I mean, even if it isn't 80% of June or everyone who wants it by the end of June, you know, into July and August, most people will be vaccinated. Surely well, this will make a difference against the variants. They, we, they need to have both doses of their vaccine. So they'll have started their vaccination programme, but they need to have the two doses to be fully vaccinated. And we're not at that position yet. And we also have to, and you know, so we have to be very careful about this. And we haven't started vaccinating um, our children yet at all. And they are also vulnerable to this. So I just think it's reckless. It's foolish. We see that this is causing a problem in the UK. They are further advanced in their vaccine rollout okay. than we are. And they risk a huge surge that will overwhelm their hospitals. So you can only imagine how much worse it is for us being a bit behind in our vaccination programme. So it's just reckless in the extreme to, to do that. I'm, and so okay. I think we should not be taking that risk. We should not be allowing um, uncontrolled travel. So this idea that somebody who has had a negative yeah. PCR yeah. test I, I, on I, one day, okay. they, they can travel, it's not enough information. Thanks for that, Aoife. I just, Malcolm, you're shaking your head there. No, the, Your reaction to that? No, there, there, there is a big difference uh, now into times past in that we are rolling out uh, the vaccine programme. The majority of the adult population has now received at, one, at least one dose. There has to be a vaccine uh, bonus. We've got to start to look at um, providing support for international travel. In terms of what's being talked about at EU level with regard to the, the introduction uh, of the, the COVID green cert, I mean, all of the safeguards are in place. Uh, and we shouldn't be restricting okay. people people who are vaccinated, who oh. are prepared to, to take a test. There has vaccinated. to be a vaccine bonus. Okay, there will this have is to leave really us. a really important point. Oh my goodness, they're not fully vaccinated. And, and I think you just can't brush that over, can't brush over that. What we see from the UK is that if somebody has had a single dose of the AstraZeneca vaccine, they have 33% protection compared to um, 88 or so with the second dose. Okay. So we can't say, it's not, it's not the same thing and you can't just sweep that under the carpet. But there we have to leave it. Look, the debate clearly hasn't gone away on that one. My thanks to Aoife McLeisett and Pather Tobin. Hazel Chu and Malcolm Byrne are staying with me. And after the break, heartbroken father Andrew McGinley on the grief of losing his children. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG.
Dublin father Andrew McGinley has spoken about managing grief following the tragic death of his three children, Connor, Dara and Carla. Their mother, Deirdre Morley, was found not guilty of their murders by reason of insanity recently. Andrew joined me a little earlier to talk about the special projects closely linked to his children's legacy. And firstly, I asked him about how he's coping with this grief. And just to say, you may find this interview upsetting. Um, I suppose it's, it's, been, a, it's been a year and a half. Um, I, I've thrown myself headlong into some projects in memory of, the, of Connor, Dara and Carla. Um, that was almost from uh, the Friday that they, they passed away. Um, I thought about, you know, the last time I held them, the last time I kissed them. For me, then I got thinking about the last promises I made to them. So um, I suppose I developed some projects around just to, to, to think positively about what I could do to keep their memories alive. And you started really early on fulfilling those promises that you made to your three children, and you've managed to progress with them despite uh, progress with them despite everything that's happened, despite being in the middle of a pandemic. You've managed to fulfil their pro the, the, those promises that you made to them in the hope of upholding their legacy. Yeah, so Connor's Connor's was a, a reasonably easy one. He wanted a YouTube channel. Uh, never got round to to filming, but he, we were going to do some comedy sketches. I still have the notepad where he wrote down some ideas and it, it's just uh, uh, you could see that he was such a funny kid and he had a great sense of humour. So it, it was definitely, it was going to be comedy sketches and I'd said to him, you know, he had me, he had Dee, he had Dara, he had Carlo, he had willing part uh, participants to, to do that. So all I have is the, is the clips of the kids that, I, that I, I'm happy to share. Um, so that was Connor's clips and I support that on, on social media. Um, Carla wanted a snowman. Um, unfortunately, we don't get snow every year, so I'm hoping to launch a, a colouring competition because she loved colouring um, later on this year. And then Dara's, uh, Dara was involved in everything. So uh, in September, we'll be launching this charity. We've kind of tentatively put it out there, but uh, we'll be launching it in September. And it's already got a huge amount of support. It has, it has. And it's, it's great to see it. Uh, it took us a bit by surprise. Uh, but uh, yeah, we, we're hoping now in September we'll be able to uh, announce our, our annual event and then the support that I've been getting from uh, the likes of uh, Niall Quinn has just been fantastic, uh, stepping forward to support me. So it's, it's been great. That's incredible. People have reached out to oh, you yeah, and yeah. to your story. And you were saying something about Dara that he really liked to be involved in everything. Uh, and at community yeah. level now, you want to give a little bit of that back right around the country. Yeah, so for, for Dara, he was involved in everything. If there was anything going on, Dara wanted to be in the middle of it. Uh, so we've actually funded a couple of projects around the country uh, so far. But uh, we, we'll, yeah, tentatively, it was, we were doing a, what I would call the Ocean's 13 soft opening. Uh, but we launch fully in September. Um, in tandem with remembering and upholding the legacy of your children, you also want to see justice in the area of mental health around the inclusion mm. of families, something that was really brought to bear in the trial. Tell us what happened there in that regard that made yeah. you think we well, need change here. I, I would firmly believe that a member of the, the family or an advocate needs to be needs to have full insight of the patient's treatment, their medication, everything. 
Um, there's ways and means of doing that without breaching patient confidentiality. But within the recommendations of the Mental Health Act, there's uh, word in, in around proactive encouragement for an advocate to be appointed. Speaking to, to Dee, she can't recall being asked once uh, whether she wanted an advocate to be appointed. So I don't call that proactive encouragement. But uh, for me, looking back in 2010, Una Butler in Cork lost uh, her two daughters, Zoe and Ella, in similar circumstances. And she campaigned back then for the Mental Health Act to be changed and for um, a, an advocate to be compulsory, I suppose. Um, had that been the case, had the law been changed then, then I will say to you without a doubt that Connor, Darren, Carla would be alive. So as I sit here now, I will add my voice to, to Una's voice. Hopefully we'll be heard and hopefully nobody else will die. And it's as simple as that. And the, since the trial, I've received a, a number of letters um, of people expressing the same concern, having lost loved ones through similar circumstances or through suicide. And uh, they all say the same, that they weren't aware. They hadn't been included by the teams who were treating their loved ones and were left unawares. And uh, it, 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 it needs to change. You had a number of questions for the HSE. Um, following the trial and the verdict. Mm. And you didn't actually know who you should address them to, who should you write to, and where you expected to receive correspondence from. Yeah, I, I, I suppose I just addressed it to HSE Care of Ireland, and uh, I'm not sure it got there. It might have been a, a bit of a challenge to unpost, but uh, uh, they delivered several thousand letters to me over lockdown, so I had great faith in them that they would get there, but I did receive a response. Um, I got a phone call last Wednesday from uh, the HSE. Uh, they have written to me. Uh, they sent me a soft copy last Wednesday and uh, I read the first line and it upset me. Um, there was condolences in there in the first line, but it was coupled with excuses. It was almost like... Uh, the dog ate my homework and then the rest of my homework blew out the window. So sorry, I have no homework. Um, I would hope, I would seriously hope that the person who actually signed that letter didn't write it. Um, and maybe tomorrow morning, if they look back at that first line, they might regret having worded it in such a way. But it stirred up quite a bit of angry emotions and I don't want to be angry. I really don't. So I've taken my time, but I will respond and I'll, I'll, I'll point out the, the error of that first sentence. But it wasn't the best way to start a letter to a, a grieving father. Yeah. What was it specifically about that sentence that upset you so much, Andrew? I think if you're offering condolences to somebody, you offer condolences, full stop. And that's it. No excuses, no conditions, no nothing. I'm sorry for your troubles, full stop. And leave it at that. And that's what should have been in that letter. Uh, they also went on to offer um, a meeting to discuss an independent review, so I will be taking up that offer with them. Uh, separate to that, the Mental Health Act, you believe, needs to be changed. Um, the Minister for Mental Health, Mary Butler, said that she will bring forward draft legislation next month. 
Have you spoken to her about this? Have you received any assurances? Because as you say, you're campaigning hard on this now because you know the likes of Una mm. Butler, who lost her two children, had to do it for 11 years. Yeah, and Una, I suppose, spoke to some senior members of the, the government at the time, some of who are in more senior positions, um, and and didn't get anywhere, which uh, is is when you see what happened with our with our family. <sighs> Had the change been made, as I say, Connor, Darren, Carla would be alive. We, we, if your loved one is receiving treatment, you you need to be included. You would be included if it was any other organ other than the mind. I mean, if somebody was in and, you know, had a condition with their lungs or their heart or anything else, they, you know, they would probably include you. I think there's still a, a massive stigma around mental health. But if your heart can get ill, your lungs can get ill, so too can your mind. And we need to, we need to remove that stigma and we need to include the family in the treatment plan because I sat there at the trial and some of the t uh, evidence given by the, uh, the medical experts I was hearing for the first time, uh, particularly around Deirdre expressing concerns about being a parent, mm -hmm. feeling overwhelmed as a parent. There seemed to have been several times that she mentioned this to the mental health services and not once did they think about ringing me or calling me. I would think that the first time that Dee mentioned a, a concern about being a parent, I should have got a phone call. Uh, and to hear several more occasions, I'm, I'm, I'm devastated. I, 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 I'm lost for words that nobody would have thought to reach out. I want to move on to a form of abuse that you've received um, online in the wake mm. of the trial and of the beautiful clips and photos and images that you've posted up of your children, you've actually been forced to shut down your Facebook page. Yeah, so it, 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 the people who were engaging with the Facebook page itself were magnificent. They were really, really brilliant and supportive. But it's where you looked elsewhere on Facebook. I mean, I remember after the trial, uh, or sorry, after the, the kids actually died in uh, 2020, I think it was, February or March, um, a friend of mine made me aware of some comments made on Facebook, which were nothing short of vile. Um, and I was shocked that I should have taken a screenshot. I should have everything else. But I was in such a state of shock that somebody would put that up. Uh, and then after the trial, it just seemed to be an awful lot of people who were claiming to be friends of the family and knowing the true story. And you're saying, well, the true story was in the trial, in the evidence. And it just, you would just get somebody putting up a comment and then other people go, oh, I didn't know that you knew the family. And I'm there looking at it going, she doesn't. Like, so, and it was just hurtful stuff and untrue stuff and just vile stuff. And you just think, I don't need this. I don't get it anywhere else on social media. It may be out there, but it just seemed that Facebook just seemed to be full of it. And did you contact the platform? Did you contact Facebook about this? And I did they act? I spoke to legal counsel who wrote to a number of the, uh, the, the pages and the comments were removed. I did challenge one or two people and their comments were removed once I said, you know, this is who I am. I don't know you. Uh, but uh, the, the term that was used to me was uh, you'd need deep pockets to take on Facebook. So 
I don't have deep pockets. So it was easier just to let Facebook go. Because social media is a tool that you have used yeah, to keep yeah, yeah. your children's memories alive. You'd hope someday to reopen that page to try and start up again? Or is the fear there that the social media giants just aren't acting on these real concerns? Um, I, I'm still on Twitter and I'm still on Instagram and the engagement through that has been fantastic and, and very positive. I know people will have their opinions on, on the case, on the trial, etc. And I've no problem with people expressing an opinion as long as it's educated and it's true and it's informed. Uh, but it just seemed that Facebook was just, yeah, I'm a friend of the family and this is actually what happened. Mm. Well, no, you're not. You're not. And so, no, I won't be returning to Facebook. I have no intention of it. But you're keeping your children's memories alive in a very strong way through your various projects. And we want to wish you the very best of luck with all of that. Andrew McGinley, thank you. Thank you. And if you've been affected by any of the issues raised in that interview, emotional support and help is available from the Samaritans 24-7 on their helpline number 116123. Now, Dublin Lord Mayor Hazel Chew and Fianna Fáil Senator Malcolm Byrne are still here with me. The idea that a father should have to shut down a tribute page to his three children because of online trolls is really obscene, isn't it? What regulation do you feel is needed in this area, Malcolm Byrne, that just isn't there? Well, first of all, I think, you know, we've heard Andrew's story and to thank him for sharing it with us. Uh, and I think that brings home the dark side of, of social media where somebody like Andrew, who has been through what he's been through, and you can't but be affected by his story, um, you see the dark side of social media. Until now, the difficulty has been effectively the social media giants have self-regulated. They set their own community standards uh, and they determine whether or not certain stuff can uh, remain up on Facebook or Twitter uh, and so on. We're currently dealing with uh, the Online Safety and Media Regulation Bill um, before the Oireachtas. That will set up a media commission and as part of it is proposed to have an online safety commissioner. Uh, I've urged that, that Minister Catherine Martin, who's the minister responsible, would set up that online safety commissioner immediately on a non-statutory basis uh, and so that we can give uh, powers to that office. So what would the commissioner do? So what the commissioner would do would, would, would be to address, to set out very clear codes around the type of behaviour that is allowed on social media platforms. Uh, so it would deal with uh, online bullying, harassment, trolling, anonymous accounts. Yes, we have to balance it with, with freedom of expression. That's, that's very important. We have to allow, as Andrew said, for people to have opinions uh, and even to have you know, very strongly divergent. But for the kind of abuse and trolling that we've seen, and unfortunately, Andrew's not the only one. Remember that, that before Christmas, we passed Coco's Law in memory of Nicole Fox, who took her own life because of the bullying she experienced. Uh, Hazel Chu, I want to bring you in here. You've also been the subject of online abuse and trolling. What do you think needs to happen that can quickly go some way to resor towards resolving the problem and to helping victims of this sort of abuse? Because really, isn't it the case that the social media giants need to get their houses in order on it? They do. And from a government level, as Malcolm has said, Minister Catherine Martin is going to... It, this is at the pre-legislative stage of the online com um, safety communications bill. And that is going to be really important. And hopefully, on some way, 
position the social media companies to uh, make sure that they are held accountable. From But from a social media company point of view, I've had the, these conversations with um, with Twitter. I, I recently had one uh, with Facebook. And the issue we have is the lack of transparency in a lot of the cases. So you, we, I have plenty of people coming to me to say, well, they don't know how many complaints are towards a certain person, or they don't know uh, what, what is the guidelines uh, and, and policies in place. And I think they need to have that front and center. The the answer to why uh, they haven't had that is because they are worried that people will game the system. But the problem is people are already gaming the system and okay. people are, are harmed on the other end. And if the likes of Facebook, uh, Twitter, TikTok, the, you name it, call themselves a community and what they're trying to set up is a community, then they have a duty of care to their users. Okay, it's something we're likely to hear a lot more about, but my thanks to Dublin Lord Mayor Hazel Chu and Senator Malcolm Byrne. Next, just how expensive will your summer holidays be? Stay with us. Welcome back. Now, the EU has recommended new travel rules, and I'm joined by consumer journalist Sinead Ryan from TheIndependent.ie to discuss this more. International travel, from Ireland's point of view, is set to resume on July 19th with this EU COVID digital cert. Quite simply, how will it work and what are the criteria needed in order for you to be able to travel? Okay, well, as far as we know, <laughs> that'll be the beginning of every question you ask me this evening. It'll work like a QR code. So you'll get it on a piece of paper or uh, in on digital form, like a boarding pass, mm. okay? And it's going to have up-to-date information on each passenger. Either you've been fully vaccinated with room to spare, uh, you've had a negative PCR test in the last 72 hours, or you are what they're calling COVID recovered. In other words, you've had COVID in recent months and you're clear of it now. That will be needed probably to get anywhere, to get on a flight or anything like that. Uh, and that uh, passport will be given to anybody who wishes to travel across the EU and it allows you restriction-free restriction travel across member states. No isolating, no quarantine uh, and no PCR test needed you know, okay. Is this something very simply you're going to be able to download on your phone, yeah. upload your information and when three boxes are ticked, you will get that digital search and be free to go. Yes, what could go wrong? <laughs> it that sounds is all too how, simple, to that's be honest, how it's Sinead. supposed to work. Now, the good news is that it is being rolled out by IBM and Salesforce, which is the same outfit that is currently doing the vaccine rollout. And that hasn't been subject to the, to the hack uh, in the HSE. Right. So they have all the information. Now, you see, the information will be coming from different sources because if you've had a PCR test, let's say you're not vaccinated and you still want this, this certificate, so you rock out to the airport a couple of days beforehand, you get your test we have to know that that information is going to be uploaded onto this certificate. If you've been vaccinated, that has to be uploaded mm -hmm. onto it. Uh, so from, from that perspective, there's information coming from different sources. So all being well, everybody will, who wants one will have one of these. Uh, it's not being held on a European database. It'll be GDR okay. compliant, all that kind of thing. If you're travelling as a family, the issue of PCR testing for children who won't be vaccinated mm. because they're not on any vaccination schedule here, that's going to cost a family, isn't it? Oh, hugely. I, I'm not sure I would be travelling at all with children over the age of six 
who are not vaccinated. And the reason is that for, uh, the same as it was, say, last year when, when there was a, a lift in the first place, you, you you come out, you get all your kids antigen mm. tested. And by the way, that's expensive. And then one of them tests positive the day before the flight. You're not going to be going anywhere. And what happens stage. if they do test positive and you have to cancel that flight? Because people may be willing to take the risk. They may be willing to pay the €175 Euro per test per child. Yeah. But then a, a positive test scuppers all that and puts your holiday in jeopardy. It Do you does. have any rights? Well, if the fl you certainly have no flight rights. So if the flight goes and you're not on it, tough. If the hotel is open at the other end and you're not in it, tough. Uh, you can buy travel insurance, but you need to check with the insurance company. Will they cover that exact scenario for the whole family if one person tests COVID positive? OK, so yes, you can get travel insurance. There's no problem there. You just want to make sure it's going to cover that eventuality. And just on the Europe wide issue, we know that Spain have said if you're fully vaccinated, we're open for business from June 7th. What's that mean for Irish people? No non-essential travel? They can't go yeah, even if they're vaccinated and it, want to? Well, it's open now because, I mean, on the 24th of May, they opened their borders to all British vaccinated people. So that would include people flying on Irish passports from Belfast Airport, for instance. Uh, so Spain, Greece, you know, tourism-heavy countries are taking a very liberal view of all this. And they're saying, bring it on. We have our borders open. In you come if you're vaccinated. We're happy with that. But you see, for some people, Claire, they'd be thinking, do I want to go to maybe a country that has opened its borders well, so widely want to go, as well? Well, you have to quarantine on the way home. Or if the government is saying here no to non-essential travel on June 7th and right up until yeah, July, I would is, not that, be, is that an issue? You, you can't undertake any travel for non-essential reasons until July 19th. OK, you can't. And you can't... Uh, recommend that under any set of circumstances, all right? After July 19th, you won't have to quarantine when you come back home as long as you have this okay. digital I'm sure there'll be plenty more questions on, on it. But for now, that's it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast from all the late team here. Good night. Take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.